He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. The Bible reads in Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 19. The Son is the image of God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, in your relationships with one another, have the mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, I'm so sorry, I'm a big baby when it comes to, to things like this. I, Cody, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you to the band. Thank you uh, to our pastors and staff. It's, it's always a joy and a privilege to, to get to share the pulpit with them. It's, it's, it's an honor. I, I think about it all the time. What a privilege it is to be able to deliver God's message, to be entrusted with the message of reconciliation. What, what a blessing. So thank you guys so much for having me again up here. Uh, so our God is worthy. He is supreme. He is incomparable. Nothing compares to him. Nobody compares to our God. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is sui generis in a class by himself. He's deserving of all our praise, all of our energy, our might, all that we have, all that we are. He's deserving 
of it all. I mean, those words are just a small attempt at, at describing God, who he is, for we have no words to contain him. We have no words to describe who our Father, our Heavenly Father, is. But what's, what's amazed me over the past couple of weeks as, I've been, as I was preparing this is, why does a loving, a powerful, a mighty God would love us so much, broken people like you and me, and would want to have any business with us? I mean, why would he leave his throne, his glory, and, and chose to dwell with us here, to bring us back to himself? Why would he do that? He's mighty and powerful and glorious, but he's also loving. He's in love with people like you and me. He's in love with broken people like you and me. And, and that's just amazing to me that such a holy being, a glorious being, would provide a way for sinners like you and me to reconcile to himself. And that's what I want us to focus on for the remainder of our time here. I want us to focus on the way that the Father has provided for sinners like you and me to reconcile to himself. And if you have, even if you have rudimentary knowledge of the Bible, of Christianity, you know the word gospel, right? So the way that we're going to be talking about here is the way of the gospel. A holy, righteous, supreme God has provided a way for sinners like you and me to reconcile to himself, and that way is the way of the gospel, so today, we're going to talk about three things, essentially. We're going to talk about the biblical definition of the gospel, what the gospel really means when we use the word gospel, what we mean by it biblically. And secondly, we're going to talk about the biblical description of the gospel. Uh, in other words, the content of the gospel, what's in it. And lastly, we'll talk about the implications of, of the gospel in our lives. All right? So we've got the biblical definition of the gospel the description of the gospel, the content, and then we've got the implications of the gospel in our lives. So if you have, if you have a Bible, let's open it to Romans chapter 10, verse, verses 15 and 16. Okay, so the word gospel is the English translation of the Greek word euangelion, right? So euangelion just literally means good news, right? So when the word gospel is used in the Bible or in ancient literature, it literally means just good news, right? So the gospel of Jesus Christ literally means the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's read in Romans 10, just those two verses, 15 and 16. There's a lot going on in this chapter. Of course, we don't have time to do exposition on the whole chapter here. But I just wanted us to consider verse, verses 15 and 16. It reads, And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, the euangelion, the gospel. 
16, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So I just wanted to point your attention here to the word good news, the word gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. So the word gospel is just defined as the good news. That's the definition. But the word gospel here, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't just a good news. It's unique. It's a unique good news. It's not a good news that just provides temporary or fleeting happiness to its recipients. It's, It's not just a good news. It is also a power. And it's not just the power, it is the power of God. Paul describes the gospel, he defines the gospel, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 as the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So this good news, this particular good news of Jesus Christ is distinctively transformative. It's not just a power, it's not just a good news, it is a good news that transforms Right? When, when we truly receive and accept the good news of Jesus Christ, we can't help but be transformed because of the transformative quality of this good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's not just the good news, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we're good on the definition, right? Now, let's talk about the biblical description of the gospel. So what's in it? We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what is that good news? I mean, if I I were to tell you, hey, I've got a good news for you, you would want to ask me, so tell me, what's what's the good news? What's in it? So let's, uh, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. It reads, now, brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So, Paul is telling him here that the gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that you believed in, uh, I'm just reminding you of this gospel right now. In fact, if you have believed anything else, you have believed in vain. This is the gospel that I preached to you, and this is the gospel by which you're saved. And this is what Paul says here. For what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, then last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. 
So this is here the content of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. But the gospel descriptively is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day and he appeared. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he died the death that you and I, sinful, broken people, deserved. He died and he paid the penalty that you and I so deserved. We're not innocent people. My four-month-old son is not an innocent person because I'm not an innocent person. Christ paid the penalty that you and I deserved. He humbled himself to even death on the cross like a criminal to die the death that you and I deserved. This is the good news, brothers and sisters, that we can be made righteous with God. We can be reconciled with them through the way that he provided. What is the way? It is the way of the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He defeated death, and he appeared to many. So the good news, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes definitionally. And descriptively, it is that Christ died for our sins he was buried, he rose again on the third day, and he appeared. Now let's, let's, let's talk about the implications of the gospel in our lives, right? We've seen what the gospel is. We've seen that it's a, a power. We've seen what the good news entails, that Christ died for our sins so that we can be reconciled with God again. But what are the implications of the gospel in the lives of us as the recipients of that gospel? Let's look with me in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, verse 18, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So from verse 15 here, we see again a little bit of of the content of the gospel, that Christ died for us so that we should no longer live for ourselves but live for him. But I want us to start from from verse 17 and and just go down and talk about the implications. So the first implication we see here is that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So as the beloved recipients of the gospel... The first implication of the gospel in our lives here in these verses is that our old self is gone. The new self is here. The old Brian is gone. The new Brian is here. The old Matthew is gone. The new Matthew is here. Meaning that we now have new affections new desires, new longings. We have crossed from death to life. Once upon a time, we used to live for the fulfillment of the desires of our flesh, pursuing passions that are in variance with what God demands from us. But the old self is gone. The new self is here. It doesn't mean that we're perfect but it means that our affections have changed or changing. It means that we're now being conformed by the Holy Spirit to the likeness of Christ Jesus. So the first implication we see here is that the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let's let's go down. Verse 18, and... And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Something else we see here is that we have been reconciled to God through Christ. We're no longer enemies. We used to be his enemies. We used to to live in, in contradiction to his word. We used to be sinners and enemies But now we have been adopted into his family. We have been reconciled to him through Christ Jesus. Because of the way that God has provided, we are now family. We're sons and daughters. First implication, we're a new creation. We're not the same. The old is gone, the new is here. Second implication, we are now reconciled to God. We're family. We're sons and daughters. We're beloved sons and daughters, and Christ. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But one thing I want us to see here too in verse 18 is that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is also the way of the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. We're reconciled to God through the way of the gospel, right? So we've been given that way. It is through that way that we're saved. And so we see in 19 that God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting our sins against us. We've also been forgiven. That's one of the implications. We have been made family, sons and daughters. We've also been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future. Christ paid it all on the cross. He has made us righteous. So, new creation, we've been reconciled to God through Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we've been forgiven. So that God, verse 19, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Notice here that not only have we been given the message of reconciliation through which we're saved, we've also been committed the message of reconciliation, right? We haven't been given the message of reconciliation to just sit on it. We've been committed that message of reconciliation, meaning that we have a mission. As the church, as the body of Christ, we exist to proclaim, to share that message of reconciliation to the world because God is in the business of reconciling the world to himself now through the church, through us, the beloved recipients of the gospel, right? Not only have we been given that ministry, we've been committed that ministry. This is why we exist, God is in the business of purifying us, a peculiar people for himself, for the sake of the gospel. We have been commissioned the message of reconciliation. And that makes us ambassadors. We are, therefore, verse 20, Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, verse 21, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might be reconciled with them. The old self is gone today. That's one of the implications. We have been reconciled with God through Christ this morning. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been forgiven We've been committed the message of reconciliation, the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, and that he appeared. I mean, this is glorious. This is why we exist. This is beautiful. I've been saved. I've been made new. I've been forgiven. I've been accepted. I've been adopted. I've also been committed the message of reconciliation. I've been made an ambassador for Christ to carry his message, to proclaim his message all around the world, wherever we go. It's, it's just amazing that holy God, he doesn't need us. God doesn't need our help. He, he really doesn't need us. He's a holy God. He's a perfect God, all-powerful, all-knowing. But he's so in love with us that he would create a way 
for us to reconcile to him, to share in his glory. And this is better than everything else. This is better than carrying our passion for political ideology or for whatever else we we carry. This is supreme. This is why we exist. We are children of the living God, and our primary responsibility is to spread this good news of Jesus Christ, that in God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against themselves. The beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we get enough of this? Can we ever get enough of this? And one final implication that I didn't mention here is that one day we will see Jesus Christ face to face and share in his glory. Amen. And share in his glory face to face. We'll see our Savior, the one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, to rescue us from our sin, from the power of sin and death, and to bring about our reconciliation with himself. Isn't that glorious? What can we give to our Father? What can we give to him in return for what he's done, in return for his great love? Doesn't he deserve everything that we have, everything that we are? Doesn't he deserve our affections, our our time, our energy? Doesn't he deserve every second of the day we wake up in the morning excited to get into the word, to see what God has to tell us, to, to share his glory with them? Our Father is supreme this morning. He's worthy. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is the God who worship, a mighty God, a powerful God. So I want you, as you go today, to ponder over this fact, that the most supreme being of the universe, the most powerful being of the universe is in love with you. He has forgiven you. He has adopted you into his family. All you have to do, by the way, in all this work, is to just accept the good news with faith. That's all you have to do. Accept the good news. Believe that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, he rose again, and he appeared. Because if you truly believe in that, then you won't help but be transformed. You won't help but be transformed because this good news isn't just a good news. It is a power, and it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and I'll I'll pray, and, and we'll go. Father, we thank you. Father, we're honored that you have chosen us. We're honored that 
sinners, broken people like us, you in love with, and you have made a way for us to be reconciled to you. We have nothing to give you in return for what you've done. We have nothing to give you in return for your great love. But Father, we pray that you continue to captivate us that we may be captivated by you, that you open our eyes to your glory. If we're not living for the glory of God, if we're not living for that ministry of reconciliation, it's not because there's anything wrong with the ministry of reconciliation or, or that you have not loved us enough. It's because our eyes have not been opened to your glory. Father, we pray that you open our eyes to your glory that you stir our affections, that you stir our hearts, that you stir our desires. We pray that you open our eyes to you, Father. Allow us to see your beauty. Allow us to see your glory. Allow us to get a taste of your glory, Father, of your majesty. We thank you for your great love, O oh God. We honor you this morning. We'll give you all the praise and glory and honor this morning. We thank you, God, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.